Proactive Athletes is the premier place that empowers student athletes to overcome the challenges of college sports recruitment. Their unparalleled expertise and influential network will guide you towards realizing your fullest potential. At Proactive Athletes, they understand that each student athlete is unique, facing their own set of obstacles. That's why their dedicated team takes the time to comprehend your individual needs, providing a comprehensive hands-on approach tailored to your success. With their personalized attention and unwavering support, they ensure your satisfaction every step of the way. Through their vast network, they have successfully connected with over 2.3 million coaches, giving your child's profile the exposure it deserves. In fact, their student-athletes' profiles have been viewed by an astounding 716,000 coaches, solidifying their reputation as the go-to platform for recruitment. What sets them apart is their data-driven approach, allowing them to make informed decisions that result in better outcomes for their student-athletes. By harnessing the power of data, they maximize your child's chances of success as they embark on the next chapter of their athletic journey. Join the ranks of proactive athletes and unlock your true potential. Let them amplify your talent, connect you with coaches that want you but may not have known about you, and pave the way for your future success. Together, they will defy the odds and ensure that your dreams become a reality. Don't wait any longer. Get proactive in your child's recruitment process today by visiting proactiveathletes.com. And make sure you use Shark Effect 10 for 10% off. One of the things that really bothers me about athletics in our country, and you know, and I see this happen to the young men I work with all the time, is they're commoditized. They're commodities. They're just athletes. And then we wonder why some of our athletes don't act like humans when we don't treat them like humans, right? They're just there to produce. They're there to make money. They're there to win. Um, and then we wonder why they're in crisis later too in their lives because they don't know who they are. It's intercepted. Picked up by Alex Molden. Welcome to the Shark Effect. I'm your host, Alex Molden. I'm a former NFL veteran, and now I'm a leadership and personal development speaker and coach. In this podcast, you will hear inspirational and humorous stories from leaders of all walks of life, from current and former professional athletes, coaches, authors, experts, executives, and successful business owners. Discover how these leaders not only overcame obstacles, but also learned core principles that led to their success when leading others. Hello, once again, welcome to The Shark Effect. I'm your host, Alex Molden. Um, I'm excited about dropping another episode for you guys, but I'm super excited for my next guest. Um, her name is Brenda Tracy. I'm going to let her tell her story a little bit, but um, I want to, before that, I want to thank each and every one of you for for uh, tuning in, for sharing um, the information that that's provided for you all, whether it's um, personal development or leadership. Um, I love to see the DMs, the emails that come in asking deeper questions. And um, I don't have all the answers. I'm not a guru, right? Um, I can only kind of give you foundational principles that can apply in any any environment. And from there, you take with it what you need. Um, but enough of that. Brenda, Thank you for being a guest on The Shark Effect. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. 
cool. Well, Brenda, I know we we had you know met up. I've I've watched you um, over the years, and we finally got a chance to to link up um, on stage. I, I think it was well, it was different different stage, but John Canzano's mm-hmm. um, his, his deal, and um, you know we finally got a chance to to meet. I know we've been following each other, but just getting in a conversation with you, the, the couple of conversations, they kind of start, hey, yeah, it's, it's not surface level. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we we kind of just like, hi, how are you? I know who you are. Let's, let's chat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, thank you for, for being a guest on the, on the Shark Effect. And I want to talk to you about, you know, a couple of things. One thing is like, um, you know, how emotions, how for some of us, we, if we're not intentional, what happens is, is we start to confuse feeling with thinking in, mm-hmm. you know, depending on how you were raised or, um, you know, if you were playing different sports or anything, if, if it's not intentional, you start to confuse thinking with feeling. Mm-hmm. And I just want to talk a little bit about that. Um, what's your thoughts on, you know, how do you, how do you use emotions and how do you use like actually thinking? Yeah. I think that, you know, being a sexual assault survivor and dealing with this, you know, traumatic, you know, gang rape that happened when I was young, I had to figure out like, how do I live my life and function and mitigate this trauma and still appear normal to the public? And you know what I mean? Do my job, raise my kids, like all this stuff. And so I think I wasn't, I I was, I was fairly intentional about separating my feelings from what I do. Right. Like for instance, everybody goes through this probably, you don't always feel like getting up and going to work, but you get up and you go to work anyways. Right. You don't allow that feeling to keep you from getting up and going to work. Right. So but we're not necessarily intentionally thinking about that. Right. But when I was dealing with this trauma um, before I came forward with my story with with John Canzano um, in 2014, you know, I would be so depressed um, that I I didn't want to get out of bed, but I would just do it anyways. And so I, I I was doing this thing where I was separating my feelings and my emotions from what I was actually doing. And it kind of became a mantra for me. Like I had, I have this thing called, you know, you know, just do it with God kind of a thing, like a Nike kind of thing. (laughs) Right. Like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so I was doing that, but then when I came forward with my story, people were asking me like, how did you do that? how did you raise your kids? How did you deal with this trauma? How did you get through nursing school? Single mom? How did you do that? And so I sat down and started intentionally thinking about how did I do that? And I realized that I was, I was completely separating my emotions and my feelings from what I was doing. And then when I really got intentional about it and through the years since coming forth my story and what I do today, it's really about even separating your feelings and your emotions from what you say to yourself, to other people, um, the knowing part, the knowing and the saying and the doing, like those are all three separate things for me. And if you're really intentional about it and you recognize that it really is kind of transformative because feelings are very manipulative. And good or bad, right? Sometimes we think yeah. and we depend on them so much and they control our behavior and it can really get us into some bad spots. But when you realize how fickle they are, feelings just jump on you 
just because you feel a certain way doesn't mean you have to speak that into existence or do that, right? Like, and a lot of times when I talk to survivors, even now, even to myself, I don't have to feel strong to know that I'm strong. I don't have to feel courageous to be courageous and stand on a stage in front of a group and speak, right? I don't have to feel strong to tell myself, you are strong. You can do this, right? So it's really just about separating all those things. Um, and it, it's a life changer. I'm sure you know that. It's it's a life changer, especially yeah. when you intentionally start thinking about it and really honing into it. Yeah. You know, how did you, when was that moment that you felt that with that trauma that came, like how can you, or when did that moment hit you? Like, man, this trauma and me looking at it and dealing with it and then be able to talk about it can help others. When did that, when did that come? I think it was that all, takes a lot of strength. I well, mean, and people, t- I you know, even imagine. well, and people tell me that all the time. And I've had so many discussions with myself about that because um, one, of, one of our mutual friends, Eldridge Broussard challenged me on this because when I share my story, people ask me like, how did you have the courage to come forward with your story? And I tell them that it wasn't courage at the time. Like I was just desperate. I was so mm-hmm. sick and tired of being sick and tired. I, I felt like I was in this prison of shame and silence. My, my, I didn't want to live. Um, I was just kind of existing and surviving and I wanted something different. And I thought maybe if I shared my story, something would change to me. That mm-hmm. wasn't courage to me. That was just desperation. And kind of at that moment, like, I have nothing to lose, right? Like, I wake up every day wanting to die. Maybe if I share my story, something will change. Um, you know, and, and, our, and our friend Eldridge had challenged me. He's like, no, that's still courage, right? Like, you still made a decision to do that. So I wrestle with that a little bit. But um, it, it wasn't. To me, still, I, I, I have a hard time thinking that's courage. But um I did it. I just, I just stepped out in faith in a moment of desperation and shared my story. And then it just kind of from there realized like, this is helping people. Um, and it was helping me. It was really transformational for me to, like I said, step out of that prison of shame and silence. And, but then also I kind of opened Pandora's box in that moment too. Right. So Mm -hmm. it was kind of like, wow, you've been dealing with a lot of trauma. This has really affected your life. What are you going to do? Because at that point I had to intentionally move forward. I had to make a decision. Am I going to be an advocate? Am I going to let my story be a couple columns in the, in the Oregonian? And what am I going to do with this? Um, and I kind of had to face the trauma and I thought I was not facing it, but I think that's also the trick we play on ourselves is when we have trauma and things, we think, Oh, we can just push it away and not deal with it. But you're dealing with, with it, whether you realize it or not. Right. It's just about are we intentionally dealing with it um, in, in trying to process through it and heal and find peace? Or is it just affecting our lives and we're just not facing this affecting our lives? Because that trauma affected every aspect of my life. There's no way that it didn't. But I thought mm-hmm. I was pushing it away. Hmm. That's something. Talk to me a little bit about like you have a foundation. Set, yeah. the, set, the, set the expectation. Can you talk to, you know, my listeners a little bit about that? Um, Because I've been, you know, doing some some deep diving on you and your foundation and what it is and like who you talk to, you know, whether it's athletes or non-athletes. But I think, you know, with athletes, we need to get um, more intentional with 
the platform that we have. And so I just want to, you know, I, 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 yeah. I'll leave it there. Yeah. So Set the Expectation is a nonprofit. I started it in 2017. So when I came forward with my story, I started, I managed to get into the football team room at Nebraska. And there's a whole nother story behind that. But it was the first football team I worked with. And I have a passion for working with men. And that's because I believe that if women alone and the communities most affected by sexual violence could fix it, we would have already done it. Right. I would not be on your podcast right now. If women could fix this, <laughs> I promise you. So really it's about, this is about men, right? 98% of, of all sexual violence is committed by men against other men, women, children, humans. Um, but it's about 10% of our male population committing these acts of violence and 90% of our men are not. The problem within that 90% of our, of our good men is that um, they can be complicit in their silence. They can be complicit in their inaction. Um, maybe they think, oh, I don't do that. I'm a good guy. This isn't my issue. Um, but it's not just about not doing it. It's what are you, do, what part are you playing in the community, right? That, that holds people accountable, that makes sure that um, these oppressive systems are dismantled, that people are held accountable, survivors feel you know safe coming forward. It's not, I tell people all the time, it's not just about the victim and the perpetrator, all the people around us, right? What, what kind of communities mm -hmm. are we creating? So for me, men are the solution. And so that's what I do. I go out and I try to find that 90% of those men who identify as good men. And I ask them to get involved. I ask them to become allies. I ask them to, you know, form alliances with people in their communities, educate themselves, engage, the whole thing. Um, and I do it in sports a lot because part of my story is that I was assaulted by four college football players. So... Um, and that platform is huge, right? What's bigger than sports in our country? You know, if you could, if you could mobilize 90% of male athletes to take a stand, um, you, you could see, you could see some change, definitely some conversations, right? So mm -hmm. this is what I do. Um, a lot of times I'm maybe the only woman in a room of hundreds of men, but I talk to them about who they are. Are you part of the solution? Are you part of the problem? Are you part of the 90%? Are you part of the 10%? And what are you doing? What are you actively doing? Because it's not enough to just say, I care about my family. I care about women. I care about equality. What are, what are you doing to foster a culture of safety, of equality, of equity, right? So yeah, that's what I do. I, I have a passion for men and this is how I help our women and girls is by helping our men and boys. And there's a lot, there's a lot of work to do. What do most of the, of those people that you're talking to, whether they're coaches or people in leadership, you know, when you talk to them about those same questions, like they, uh, with culture, what do they, what do they typically say? Do they even know that the culture that they've, that they're creating can cause you I know, think they're, they're athletes, you know, I think at first and especially when people didn't really know who I was, I think a lot of times I would come into the room and people, were, the men were kind of like, oh, God, we're going to hear from this survivor. She's going to tell us how bad we are. Right. <laughs> like they were very kind of defensive and guarded um, and didn't know what I was going to say. And then, you know, I tell them this horrible story of what happened to me. And then I get to this part where I'm like, you know, I'm not here because I think you're the problem. I'm here because I know that you're the solution and I'm going to tell you why. And you could all, you could literally see the room kind of exhale, drop their shoulders, lean in and be like, what is she about to say? 
right? And then that's where it's kind of the magic happens and we have a conversation. But in general, the 90-10 thing is real. 90, 90% of the room is like, I'm. they identify like, I'm that good guy. What can I do? And they're not thinking about the culture because for whatever reason in our society in America, we have literally decided that those most affected by an injustice or a societal issue are the ones that are supposed to fix it. And that makes zero sense to me, right? Like, honestly, even when we talk about racism, I believe that if, if Black people alone could fix racism, they would have already done it, right? But we always task the oppressed with dismantling the structure of the oppressor, right? And that, and that just doesn't, that doesn't work that way. And so I think a lot of times when we talk about like, you know, the, the culture and all of that, a lot of these guys haven't really thought about it. They don't, they don't view women's issues as theirs. And so when you really talk to them about that and they realize like, I, I, I make up culture as well. Right. And, and what happens in this community, I'm a part of that. Once they get that, they're, they're good to go. They, they want to learn. They want to know. Um, and it's a pretty good conversation after that. Mm. Talk to me about the uh, the pledge. The pledge you know, with, with the yeah the pledge. You have over fifty four thousand uh, pledges that are signed. What I is do. In that? What does that entail? So the pledge I started in two thousand seventeen as well. So what happened was I was traveling the country and I got I kind of got thrust into the limelight pretty fast. I, you know, the first football team I worked with was the Nebraska Huskers. That story went viral in the media. Then I was at Oklahoma with coach Stoops and, you know, I was at Baylor with coach Grobe and the interim. So these are like big football programs. Right. And I recognized very quickly that there were certain coaches that were standing in front of the room and saying, your behavior matters. And if you act a certain way that disrespects yourself in this program, you're not going to play for me. Right. There were coaches drawing the line in the sand and there's other coaches that were enabling horrible behavior, hiding it, the whole thing. And I was like, wow, what is this disparity that's going on amongst these coaches and how do I get them on the same page? So basically what I did was I created this set the expectation pledge. It's, it's almost kind of like a contract. It's not binding or anything. It's kind of a pledge on steroids, really. Um, oh, yeah. Basically, what it says is that your behavior matters. And, and if you harm someone right? Rape, sexual assault, stalking, that kind of thing. You lose your, your privilege to play for that team. You become ineligible. You, you risk being kicked off of that team or suspended. Um, and it's just, it's really a tool that helps a coach to draw a line in the sand. And then it also talks about, you know, I pledge to be a leader in my community. I understand that people look to me. What I say matters. What I don't say matters. How I act matters, right? People are looking at me. Um, I pledge to display courage and stand up against, you know, sexual violence and, and, and even just small things. Right. If you're if your teammate in the locker room is saying something, check him. Right. Simple things like would you want somebody talking about your family like that or, or why is it got to be like that? Or, you know, what I mean, those kinds of things. So that's that's pretty much that's what the pledge is. And, yeah, there's been tens of thousands of guys who have signed it. Um and coaches that use it, like Coach Shaw over at Stanford, he he uses the pledge. Um, there's actually a point in time where p- new players and parents like know that their sons are signing this pledge. Like everybody's put on notice. Yeah. This is Coach Shaw's expectation. Do not cross that line. 
<laughs> right? Like, I love that. And, and coaches do it all the time. So, right? Attitude, yeah. showing up for mandatories, pushing yourself in, you know, weights, whatever, right? Coaches set expectations all the time. It's, it, it's just setting expectations around behavior. It's very rare that that exactly what you're talking about, where there's expectations in the weight room, on the field, on the court. But when, but when do we ever set expectations of character? Oh my God. And it's so important. Yeah. Right. And, and, and it's so cool that you, that you're talking about, you know, coach Shaw, right. Cause his dad coached me. Oh, I did so not I know, know that. Willie. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Willie Shaw. He was, he's, um, one of the one of the biggest influencers in my life. Wow! And, I only, and he only he only coached me for one year. He only See? coached me for one year, and he gave me valuable insights. He was he was different. Like he was always um, he uh, he really coached not just football. You know, he coached life. And yes. Those principles that he gave us all, we can apply it throughout our life and. Three things that I that I talk okay. about is in my book. It's something that helps me out when I anytime I get stuck or anytime I you know I, I'm, I run into something, an obstacle, is I always go back to Willie. Willie talked about assignment, alignment, and adjustment. <laughs> yeah, you keep it simple because I thought you know I thought the NFL I thought that was very complicated and it is, but he said, son, if you want to play a long time, you got to understand assignment. You got to know your assignment. You got to know your alignment and you got to know your adjustment. Yeah. And so I took that and it gave me success on the football field. And wow. When I was stuck off the football field. I had to, I, it took me a while to understand, okay, what's my assignment? Right. Yeah. Who am I? And what's my alignment? How am I going to align my, my life? Is it going to be aligned on how I feel? Is it going to be aligned on my family? Is it going to be aligned on my faith? How does all this, this fit? And then what adjustments do I need to make? in my character, in my relationships, how I communicate, all those type of things. And, you know, Willie gave me, he gave me um, hope. And so, wow. I love, I love, I hadn't, I did not know that, and but it, it makes sense, right? Coach Shaw is such a great man to me. And I, and I think yeah. all of his players, they love him. Um, and I think it's because he doesn't commoditize them. They're not just athletes. I mean, the first thing he does and each year, and I think we started, let's see. So Stanford football was the first team to sign the pledge. And they were the first team to have a set the expectation oh, wow. game. So that to raise awareness around these issues. And they've had one every year. So I think this year I'm going back. I think we missed one game during COVID, but I think I'm, I think this year's our fifth annual set the expectation game. But every year, before his new guys even get on the field, before they even discuss an X and an O, they sign the pledge and they talk to Coach Shaw about behavior. And I always just think, like, how impactful is that? Because the first thing that your coach does with you is the thing you know, like, oh, this is important. Like, this matters to my coach. Right? <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> and when we're talking about, I care about you as a human versus an athlete. That's, di that's different, right? Because I think one of the things that really bothers me about athletics in our country, and, you know, and I see this happen to the young men I work with all the time, is they're commoditized. They're commodities. They're just athletes. And then we wonder why some of our athletes don't act like humans when we don't treat them like humans. 
right? They're just there to produce. They're there to make money. They're there to win. Um, and then we wonder why they're in crisis later too in their lives because they don't know who they are because everything is tied up in who they are as an athlete. And we, and we fail, we fail our athletes in general, right? We fail them. And, and I hate, mm -hmm. I hate seeing that. And so when I see coaches like coach Shaw or hearing a story, of, you know, like with uh, Willie, like that is so, that's so impactful. And when I have, when I have meetings with my coaches, I tell them like, you know, you got to think about this stuff because you could, like you said, one year changed your life. How many coaches are missing that opportunity to have that impact? I think, yeah, I, you know, and here's the thing is like, um, you know, so I, I coach high school football, like I coach DBs and if I, my first conversation with them is I want to help you become a better football player, but even more importantly, I want to help you become a better person yep. because if I can help you become a better person and understand like who you are, right. What you're, yeah. What you're capable of, but all that stuff, I'm, you only going to play football for a little bit. Yep. Right. If you play it during the season or in high school, you play college football, even if you play professionally, you know, remember the average career is three and a half years. Yep. So after that, what happens? You're 25. And all you know is, is your sport. Yeah. But if you understand like you, how you operate and man, the difference that you can make, and it starts with character, which is who you are. If you understand who you are. Yes. <laughs> even before that, like, who do you want to be? Do you want to be somebody who's, who's influential? Do you, do you even have, have an idea of the person that you want to be? Uh -huh. Because don't just say, and I had an argument not an argument, had a discussion with my 13 year old. Um, I've been talking about him over the, the past couple of episodes. Just, just you know, <laughs> spending more and more time with He's him. He's like, thanks, Dad. <laughs> and he said, like, he said, um, Dad, are you, were you a football player? And I was like, man, I was a, I used to think like that but I was someone who played football. I was mm, a person first. Something you do, not who you are. Exactly. Because <laughs> I used to believe, I used to believe that I was a football player. Mm -hmm. That what I did, that was who, that was who I was. And that was my identity. But then when I stepped away and I was like, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know who I am. I don't know. I don't know, you know, anything. <laughs> and so so me telling him like, no, you are a person first. And we're, and we, you know, we raised, we have eight children. We, we, we raised them to be people of high character first. Yep. And people who are respectful and no matter who you're dealing with, I don't care if you're the CEO, I don't care if it's a garbage man. I don't care. You treat everybody the same. How do you want to be treated? Yeah. So, just kind of, hey, no, you are a person first who plays football. Yeah. In the in the pledge, it actually says sport is something I do. It is not who I am. I love that. Yeah, because okay, it's so true, it. right? And <laughs> and the benefit is when you when you treat our, our our athletes, our guys, as whole human beings, they're gonna they're gonna do better as athletes. <laughs> like that's let's go. If you're a coach that really yeah. only cares about performance, good. Treat your athlete as a whole human being. Guess what? They're going to produce better for you because they're going to know how to handle stress. 
their mental health. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's there, there's, there's research. It's proven when a person is a whole healthy person dealing with mental, physical, spiritual, whatever you perform better. You do better in life. You see that? Those are goosebumps. <laughs> I'm dead serious. Those are goosebumps. You're exactly right. Yeah. And and here's the thing. When you deal with the person, right? Understanding like your values, understanding you, your strengths, your weaknesses, understanding like the people that, that may cause you to falter. Mm-hmm. And some of those, and some of those relationships, right? That's, that's huge. Yeah. And, but some of the times those relationships we don't pick them. Yeah. They put on us. Yeah. Like with with our family, or maybe even a coach. Yep. Right. I had I had a I had a coach. Now check this out real quick. I had a coach in the NFL, and so the highest right the, yeah. at the highest level of football. I had a coach that when 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 you played, but when we won, best friends. Right, 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 right. Be- check this out. Best friends when we won. I could have stunk it up, Brenda. I could have played a horrible game if we won. He slapped me on my back. Hey, good job. Hey, don't worry about that, Alex. Man, you we get him next time. We when we lost, mm. he ignored us. Mm. He ignored us when we lost. And I could have played, we could have had I could have played phenomenal. Right. Phenomenal. He ignored us, didn't talk to us, didn't say anything. And this is at the highest level. Yeah. So can you, so now I look at that at the highest level and someone who's been coaching at a high level for many of years, don't understand leadership. Now imagine at the, at the high school level mm-hmm. where these coaches are so influential. Oh, so completely. So yeah. much power. Well, imagine if you hadn't had coaches before telling you how to deal with that behavior from that coach in the NFL, right? Cause there's certain guys that can navigate it, figure it out, but it's not because you didn't figure it out right then you were already building and learning about these skills to be able to make it in the league in that way and deal with those different personalities. What about the guys that don't? Yeah, all that all that stuff all that stuff matters. And I and it's interesting to me too that like when I do meetings with coaches and I talk to them, um, you know, not only do they need to hold themselves accountable and figure out what kind of coach they are, um, but they need to hold coaches down the pipeline accountable too. Right? Like you can't just be a high school coach and kind of do whatever with this kid and then just pass them on to college. Right. And then that college coach is supposed to make sure everything's OK, <laughs> you know, and then pass them on the NFL. Um, because, you know, when we see issues of violence in the NFL, even my question is, where did we start failing that man? Because they didn't become violent when they hit the NFL. Right. Like that's a fully grown man. And not fully. You know what I mean? They, they formed a lot of their attitudes and behaviors already by the time they get there. You don't become violent when you sign a pro contract, obviously. So what was going on in college? What was going on in, on, on in high school? Um, and then we're, you know, blaming that coach at the end of the pipeline, you know, yeah. or the college coach or whatever. So it's it's a it's a long process and everybody plays a part. You can't just take credit for the guy that does well. You got to right. take credit for everybody. 
Absolutely. So, so let me ask you, what, who is to blame? So I think when we talk about, I think when we talk about blame, I think one of the things there's so, it's not just one thing, right? Like, I think a lot of people want to say like, oh, it's just the parents. Oh, it's just the coaches. Oh, it's just whatever. I think if we really want to hone in on something to blame when it comes to men, I think in general, for me, the way that we socialize our men. And the reason I say this is because as a woman, I am socialized very differently than the men that I work with. And I, and I see that in a really drastic way. And it starts early, right? So this would be a conversation that would kind of go into manhood, right? When we're talking about fully formed humans. How can you, Alex, be a fully formed, healthy man if you're told that the only emotion you're allowed to have is anger, dominance, control, don't cry, don't be vulnerable, anything that you do that could be construed as feminine, right? Or like a woman crying, right? Is wrong. Like, how can you be a fully formed human and be healthy? Right. If you have all these constraints about manhood. Right. And I know, and I know this because I, as a woman, you know, it's not always, you know, we get, we get, it, it gets weaponized against us, but I am, it's more acceptable for me to process my feelings. It's more acceptable for me to cry. And guess what? You and I have the same human emotions. These are human emotions, right? You get heartbroken, you get sad, but you're expected to behave a certain way. And I'm expected to behave a different way, right? I, there, there's an example I use with my guys in the room a lot. And it's, you know, if you had twins, dad dad has twins, they go to the playground. And I'm a twin. You, okay, you have twins. Okay, so you got twins. No, no, no. No, I don't have twins. Oh, you don't have twins. <laughs> I'm a twin. Oh, you are a twin. I'm okay. A twin. Yeah. Well, hypothetically, let's say dad is taking his twins to the playground. The kids are playing. Um, they fall. They scratch their knees. Both kids come running to dad, crying. And dad says to one, get up, you're fine. And dad says to the other, come here and gives that child a hug. We know which one is the boy and we know which one is the girl. My question is why? Yeah. Right? Is What's going to happen is if you culturally? Get- is that a culture deal? It's a it's a culture deal. It's a it's a it's the way we it's the way we socialize our young men. It, it should not be a trending topic, a viral topic on Twitter when an athlete steps forward and says, "I'm dealing with some mental health issues." That is not okay. That that is like such a big deal, and there's such a stigma around it. A lot of us have mental health issues. A lot of us do. There's a reason that suicide among men is really high depression is really high and there's a reason that women live longer (laughs) than men right and probably a lot of it has to do with the way we're able to process our feelings um so we have to have a conversation about manhood and masculinity and what that talk what that looks like right and a lot of people say toxic masculinity and for me i don't i don't use that word um i don't think masculinity in itself is toxic until it's used and weaponized against yourself and others to harm yourself and others, right? So masculinity in itself is fine. You can be a man's man or whatever, but when you when you're doing things that are that are harming yourself and harming others through the 
guise of masculinity. That's a problem. That's a problem. And there is a crisis amongst our men around mental health and, and all those issues. And I hear it all the time. One of the saddest things that ever happened for me was um, I was with a football team. And I talk a lot about my mental health um, in these sessions. And a lot of guys come up after me and they give me hugs and they thank me and they share their stories with me. And I had four different guys on the same football team tell me that all four of them had attempted suicide at one point. And I not thought about it, attempted. Attempted. And none of them knew about each other. And in my mind, I was like, how powerful would it have been or be if these young men understood that they were not alone? Not even within their own team, they're not alone. Because how transformational is that to know that you're not alone? You're not struggling alone. Other people are going through the same exact thing that you are. But because of their masculinity, because of even just the stuff that's put on our athletes, right? Be strong, don't be weak, don't whatever. They felt like they couldn't say anything. So what they did was they had a woman who was standing in front of the room for an hour, one hour, and they were like, I'm gonna tell that person one of the most vulnerable things I've ever shared, a stranger. That's sad to me. <laughs> That's really sad to me. Really sad to me. Yeah. Man, how do we change that? I think conversations discussions like yeah, this? conversations. That's what I'm saying. That and, and men too. Like that's what that's what I say when I when I work with men and I stand in front of a room and I talk about my mental health because number one, I'm not ashamed. Yeah, I have complex PTSD. I have depression. I take medication. I'm in trauma therapy off and on. Um, I deal with suicidal ideation. That doesn't mean I'm incapable of doing my job. There's plenty of us walking around with mental health issues and we do a great job at our jobs, right? So it, th these are normal things that should have no stigma attached to them. And I think that when one person stands up and stands in their truth, as cheesy as I used to think that sounded, but it gives permission to another person to be like, you know what? I I'm going through the same thing. I can do that too. And I always talk to young men about, you know, the idea of stepping out in faith and courage and being vulnerable. Right. And talking because you're going to give permission to another man to be like, you know what? Me, too. I'm dealing with that, too. And you find you find your people, you find your people. And we start, you know, taking away the stigma, taking away the shame, normalizing these conversations, making them OK. That's why we have set the expectation um, games. We're celebrating the strength of survivors. It's okay if you grew up in a house full of domestic violence. It's okay if you have mental health, health issues. It's okay if you're a sexual assault survivor. There's no shame and stigma at these games. We're celebrating resiliency. We're celebrating courage. We're celebrating all of that stuff. So for me, all of that's important. But yeah, normalizing the conversations, that's so important. And men can play a really vital role in, in helping each other and changing that conversation for sure. Even just this, us talking right now. You have any idea how many men are going to resonate with what we're talking about right now? Yeah. I'm thinking like men... Women, um, I'm thinking coaches, humans, coaches <laughs> of, of yeah, humans, yeah. because we're talking about issues that transcend economics, race, religion, political parties. Like these are issues of Form, humanity. Yeah. yeah, that's big. That's big. 
Um, Brenda, how can we get more of you? <laughs> What's your website? Yeah, thank how, you. How do we get you to, how, how do we get um, a hold of you or your people to have you come and speak to our different, you know, college teams, pro teams, um, corporate teams? How do we, yeah. how do we go about this? So I have two websites. There is setthexpectation.org that you can reach out to. Um, and then also brendatracy.com. Um, I will say, so one of the things about my speaking though, I will say is it is now on in a video format. I have shared the, the story of my gang rape a couple hundred times and revisiting that trauma was, um, not good for me mentally and emotionally. Right. And I got to walk the walk. I have to take care of myself. And it was driving me into a dark place. So what I did is I put that story onto video. And what I do now is I focus more on um, additional topics such as consent, bystander, manhood, mental health, conversations like we're having right now. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, but that video is um, available. um, So if people just want to get the video and hear my story, hear about the campaign and activism, you can do that. You can book me virtually. You can bring me on your campus in person um, conferences, nonprofits. I do a lot of, I do a lot of different work, but definitely set the expectation.org and brendatracy.com is where you can, you can find me and book me. Absolutely. And so with that, um, when are you going to be dropping your podcast (laughs) in the future? So Sometime, I maybe I don't know. Well, I have so I have um, a friend. Um, his name is Kenny that I work with. He's done some video work uh, for me in the past. And we've been chatting about it for over a year now about a podcast. Um, and I think after October, he's going to have some free time for us to really start diving into it. Um, I think I was hesitant for a long time because I think that um, in the same way we talked about just being an athlete, when I stepped forward with my story and I started sharing my story, I kind of started to buy into like, I was just my story. Right. And that was what I had to offer. And, and so it, it took me some, some time to step away from that. realize like, you know, I have more to offer than just what happened to me. Right. And so, um, through that and gaining more confidence in myself and some more courage, um, yeah, I'm going to move forward with the podcast. I think I have a lot more to offer than just what happened to me. And I think that that's, that's, a, that's a lesson. I know, awesome. I know you do. Well, and not letting what's happened to us define us, right? That's a whole nother sermon that's right. that we can talk about. And it's easy to fall into that. Um, yeah. But yeah, so sometime after October, we're going to start getting it together. I will probably reach out to you and kind of ask for some tips and mentorship. But I'm, and, and I want to have you on, obviously, because... You know, I, I'm sure we can talk for who knows how long. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know. Holla at your boy. Right? Um, but definitely 2023. Yeah. There will be a, a podcast coming. So. Okay. Okay. That's the, and, I, and I will need to book you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Brenda, you are a high achiever. And. Thank you. You've gone through a lot and you're very strong. And I think, you know, with your story. And that is more than that, just who you are, is you give um, others the ability to overcome things, you know, things that has uh, unfairly been put on them. 
and you know you're an inspiration. Thank and you. And in saying that, I want to know. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll ask my guest this. You know, my high achieving guest. Okay. <laughs> what What is what is leadership, and how do you use it? Leadership. You know, I think for me, leadership starts with knowing yourself and who you are. I think how I show up in the world is leadership. How I stand as an example, um, the work I do for myself and then being able to articulate it for other people so that they can then think like, yeah, that could work for me or I identify with that or something like that. I think all of that is leadership. So being authentic, being honest, being vulnerable, being human. I think those are some of the most important things and understanding that everything starts with you first. I think those are all important things. Love that. Love that. Well, so Brendan, you have social media, you have, I'm going to have all this in the show notes so people can be able to, you know, they can hear from you, but I'm going to have it in the show notes as well. Okay. Uh, Instagram is at Brenda Tracy 24. Twitter is at Brenda Tracy 24. Um, and then we also have um, Instagram is at set the expectation and Twitter is at STE nonprofit. Okay. Love it. Brenda, thank you so much for sharing who you are on the shark effect. And I would love to have you on again. Oh, I would love to come back. I would love to discuss what we could talk about. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Shark Effect Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at thesharkeffect.com. Thanks for listening. It's here, finally. My book, The Ultimate Playbook for High Achievement. You can get it on Amazon in the uh, paper paperback version, or you can get it on Kindle. And who this book is an in, intentionally created for is for those who are looking to transition, whether you was an athlete, or an executive or a successful entrepreneur or whatever, if you're looking to transition into something different, this book can help you. I break it down, I lay down the foundation of who you want to be. I have a chapter in there that breaks down and boils down leadership, which is influence. And you gotta understand these 10 influencers that can help you with decision-making, that can help you with influencing others. And how are you influenced? I have chapters in there that really breaks down my system of assignment, alignment, and adjustment. Um, Recognizing the power of your environments is a chapter. Developing your own procedures, creating relationship roadmaps, using adversity to your advantage, right? Because we all go through tough times, but how do you flip it? How do you use it to power you, okay? And then developing your own standards. So these are things that can help anybody, not just not just athletes. Now, there's some stories in there, you know, that covers topics that that resonate with athletes. But I think overall, this book can help 
um, anyone who is looking to transition into becoming successful in something new, something different. Okay, so make sure check it out. Amazon, the ultimate playbook for high achievement.